You're listening to the final episode of Season 2 of the Child Life On Call podcast, Belinda's episode, A Son with Low Muscle Tone, Epilepsy, and Autism. And I've talked to a lot of parents who get similar diagnoses of don't expect your child to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm here to say, don't ever let them tell you something will never happen because there is always a way to support a child so that they will gain more skills than what may be expected. They may overcome it completely. They may not, but they're going to accomplish whatever they are ready to accomplish and they're going to do it on their schedule. Hi, and welcome to the final episode of season two of the Child Life On Call podcast. I'm your host, Katie Taylor, a certified child life specialist. This podcast is designed to give parents of children with an illness or medical condition a voice and a place to share their stories and experiences. I want to thank all of our listeners today for your support and time over the past year. It is with your support that an idea I had to start a podcast for parents has surfaced from a dream to a reality, and I am so appreciative. I will be taking the next few months away from the podcast to focus on the birth of my daughter, and will look forward to connecting with you again at the end of the summer. You just heard from our guest today, Belinda Hammond. She is a mom, certified child life specialist, and creator of ChildLifeConnection.com, and she'll be sharing her own personal experience as the mom of a son with low muscle tone, absence seizures, and autism. I won't waste any more time and will let Belinda get started with her story. My name is Belinda Hammond. I have been a child life specialist now since 1999, so it's been a while. I actually was a specialist as a result of going through cancer treatment myself and then realizing that I really wanted to give back to, I wanted to work with kids and I wanted to give back in a setting where I felt like I could make a difference and had gone through that process myself. So I actually started calling around to different hospitals throughout Los Angeles and found myself on the phone with the head of child life at UCLA. And that was the start of my career in child life. But at that point, I didn't yet, I wasn't married. I didn't yet have kids. And I had left the field to go to graduate school. And once I relocated, I ended up getting married, having kids and staying put. And when my son was born, he was born, um, We didn't really get a diagnosis right away, um, but it was a lot of the experiences I had with him that led me to start doing child life on a consulting level and trying to introduce services to community programs that didn't necessarily think that they were pediatric providers and just finding places where a touch of child life made sense. But I also brought that same child life lens to being a mom and to recognizing when things didn't seem like they were going the way that I would have expected, given my background and training and just things that I ended up having to really be a strong advocate for my son. And sometimes having too much information isn't always a great thing, but it always led to great outcomes in the end. It just was a struggle sometimes in the process. Sure. I think a lot of medical providers feel that way. And I've had parents on the podcast and then parents that I've worked with who been in the medical profession and say, I know too much, you know, it's, you get too worried, you have too much going on, you, it could be this, it could be that, but what if it's this? And, um, I think that that's really common. So, um, and incredibly impressive about what you've been able to accomplish over, um, your child life career, I guess the past 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah. It's been a little while now. I don't like to think about it as 20 years, but yeah. <laughs> Okay. Never mind. Forget <laughs> I said it. 
But from um, the mom perspective, that part's been 13 years, so a little bit less. Okay, gotcha. So um, why don't you tell us about your son? Okay, my son was born full term. Um, we had no complications during the pregnancy. And just as he started to get older in his infancy and toddler years, we started to notice things that didn't quite seem, the, again, the way that I would have expected given developmental milestones that I expected to see. Things like rolling over and crawling, where if he did it, it didn't seem to be intentional. It seemed a little bit more accidental, and it was really inconsistent. And so that started the first round of debates with doctors, and we finally got the approval to do an assessment of him through early intervention. And it was determined that he was born with low muscle tone. And so a lot of the things that I was seeing was correct in that he wasn't intentionally crawling and he wasn't intentionally rolling over. He was doing the things that he should have been based on age. But with the, the support of physical and occupational therapy, we got to the point where he was able to do those things. It just took about two years of work. And even to see him now that he's 13, you can still look at him and see that he isn't walking the way that others would. But given that when we first got that diagnosis, we were told he would never run, likely never walk. And he does both now even though he does them differently, he does them both. And he's got a wall of medals from five kids that he's done, and he walks most of them. He does do a little bit of running. And, you know, but being able to get from the point where we were told never to expect these things to seeing them become a reality has been a huge eye-opening experience for me. And I've talked to a lot of parents who get similar diagnoses of don't expect your child to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm here to say don't ever let them tell you something will never happen because there is always a way to support a child so that they will gain more skills than what may be expected. They may overcome it completely. They may not, but they're going to accomplish whatever they are ready to accomplish, and they're going to do it on their schedule. And sometimes just having the support to be able to guide that development can make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. And, yeah, he's obviously exceeded expectations from his doctor. Do you still have relationships with those doctors who you knew um, when he was uh, initially diagnosed with the low muscle tone? Are they amazed? We actually have moved since then. So we don't have contact with the original doctor, but they had done so many assessments of him to determine why he was born with low tone and why this was impacting him. They never came up with a more formal diagnosis other than low muscle tone. So at that point, we just knew that he needed support to be able to do the motor skills that he wasn't able to do on his own, that his body just couldn't necessarily hold the top half above the lower half without support. And so that was something that we started working with. I think at nine months is when we started physical therapy for him. And he consistently did physical therapy up until about three. We then started him on therapeutic horseback riding, which was never something medically diagnosed, but something I had seen in school. And so I had reached out to our local program, and he's been on horseback at least every summer since then, sometimes throughout the school year. And so, and we've also done a lot of work with him in the pool. He loves being in the water, and it's something that's incredibly therapeutic. But we found the things that he enjoyed, so it felt more like he was having fun rather than making him feel like he was working. Sure. That's the beauty of um, those therapies with children and, and adults even too. When you find something you like, it becomes enjoyable. It becomes something you want to do rather than work. Exactly. The, the, the sad part of it was being in a small town where there really wasn't a lot that was guiding families with young children. And so most of the programs were for typically developing kids where if they had to try out for something, it suddenly wasn't an option. 
And so as a parent, I've had to get very creative and I think it's guided me in terms of supporting other parents going through similar things where some communities just have so many resources. And then when you get into those smaller towns, there's so few things available that you really have to get creative. And it's not as easy to get creative when you're really kind of inventing what may or may not work for your child. Do you, can you talk with us about some of those creative tips that you give to parents who may be in those small towns? And it, trying everything and letting the child decide on what it is that they enjoy. And that doesn't work as well when they're itty bitties. But like my son, we knew he, he sorry, he gave me a list of things that he wanted to, to consider, that he wanted to try out. And on that list was doing a 5K at Disneyland. And as we went through the list, that was absolutely the one. He, it was Star Wars. He is the biggest Star Wars fan. <laughs> And we decided this was going to be his goal. And so we spent the two years leading up to that, figuring out different ways to motivate him to practice, take pictures when he did something successfully so that when he said he couldn't do it later, but you've done it. And we had proof. And so then he was suddenly pushing to go forward. And we kind of dangled this 5K that had all the Star Wars characters in front of him. He really worked hard. And we started with the first 5K that was here in town. He probably ran the first five minutes decided he was done with 5Ks, couldn't do it anymore. And then we turned a corner and there was a group cheering and he took off. So sometimes it's just feeling that motivation of you really can do this and there's people here cheering you on and it may be silent cheers that you don't see live, but it may be, you know, posts on Facebook of him running because somebody didn't know that he was doing it and all of the positive feedback. That and then knowing that his goal is once he could do this in a certain amount of time, we were ready to sign up for the Disneyland run. And that really, really pushed him. But he got to choose it. And that was probably the best motivator of all. Did you guys get to go to Disneyland and do the 5K? How was that experience? We, we did go to Disneyland. We did the Star Wars 5K. He was exhausted by the <laughs> end, but it was amazing to see him, him push himself. And he had a few moments within that that we kind of had to push him, but we did it as a family. And so there were four of us in this race and none of us are runners. But it was so important to him to do this race that we all wanted to be there to support him. And it kind of got the rest of us healthier in the process because we were suddenly moving. And we had a couple of other family members that came to cheer on. He got to take pictures with the characters along the route. And it really isn't about the time. But it was about just doing the best that he could. And he cut off about, I want to say, 45 minutes from the very first 5K, where he didn't think he could go past that 5, 10-minute mark, to finishing this 5K at Disneyland and being back behind the scenes and seeing Disneyland at 6 o'clock in the morning when nobody probably wants to be up. But he did it. And he's got the memories. He's got the souvenirs. And he's got that medal so proudly displayed. That was what all of the other work was leading up to. And so as soon as we were done, as tired as he was, he asked when we could do the 10K. And that's what we're working on now. <laughs> that is incredible. What an amazing boy. Wow. But again, knowing he wasn't supposed to run makes it even sweeter. Never listen when they tell you your child will not. You don't know what they will do. So encourage them to do the best that they can do. And I've heard so many parents and and parents on this podcast that, you know, have those exact same stories that you're, you're reliving is we were told this would never happen and we worked hard and then it happened. And it seems like it's definitely a family effort, but it needs to be self-motivated from the child as well. 
the motivation is absolutely key, especially when they're old enough to tell you they don't want to do it or there's something else they want to do more. There isn't one form of therapy that works best for everybody. And so that's where that creative thinking gets in and motivation comes in. What will this child work for? And what is something that they enjoy? How can you make this become a therapeutic activity for them? When my son didn't want to ride horses, he got to go give the horses a bath. And he got to feed them. And so there was still movement and work, and there was still something that he enjoyed, but there are days he didn't want to be on that horse. But we still went, and we still found a way to make that movement count. Belinda's advice to find an activity that your child chooses on their own in an effort to make progress or overcome something is so important. As child life specialists, we are always including kids and their parents in the decisions to help with coping plans or positive progress in some way. Next, Belinda shares with us another part of her son's journey. Well, the bigger one that came, we officially got a diagnosis in fourth grade. So he was about nine years old at this point. And we were getting feedback from teachers that he was tuning things out. And more than tuning out, he was transitioning from different places between resource and between classrooms and making up for lost time in other places like library time. He just wasn't transitioning well. And he started to become punished because he was not transitioning well. He wasn't paying attention. And so the school started to punish him by taking away playtime when he wasn't doing what he was supposed to. And we couldn't quite figure out he had absolutely no memory of these, these windows in time in class. And it started getting me thinking that there was some other diagnosis because he just didn't remember them. And it wasn't that he wasn't paying attention. He was just, he had no memory yet. He was completely confused. And he wasn't transitioning the way that I thought he should be. One day I was talking to him and in the middle of our conversation, he stopped and his eyes went up and there was a little eye flutter. And having worked in hospital, I've never seen anything like that. He he just kind of froze. And when he stopped the flutter, he had no idea what we were talking about. So this was my first clue that there was something else going on. And when he did it the second time, my husband happened to be sitting next to me and we both looked at it and said, what is that? And had absolutely no clue. I called our pediatrician and she gave us an unofficial diagnosis kind of in that same phone call that it was an absent seizure. And this is something, again, in hospital, I've seen grand mal. I know what seizures look like. I had never seen something like this. She referred us um, to a neurologist and we had the assessments done. It turned out he was having these absent seizures about 20 times every minute. And so they were happening so frequently. He literally was like turning off technology and rebooting it. And so there was no memory of anything going on in between. And he had to kind of get back up to speed once he came back. And it happened so often that he really had no awareness of school. And so what I ended up doing, homeschooling him for two years as we got our diagnosis and figured out how to medicate so that the seizures were fewer. And at time, it's now been about four and a half years. It appears that he has outgrown his diagnosis but that he, had, he has or has epilepsy and that we are now starting to wean him off of his medication and hoping that we don't see seizures again. But that's been a really big part of our lives for about four and a half years. There was no known cause for the epilepsy and we're really f- considered fortunate that it appears that he has outgrown the diagnosis at this point. But it also kind of leads me to say, be really aware of what's going on in settings because it turns out that The more stressed he was, the more seizures he had. And that wasn't the cause of the epilepsy, but that's what made it worse. 
So the harder school got and the more he felt he was being punished and had no clue why, the more seizures he was having in that setting. And he didn't typically have them at home because he wasn't distressed. So just to watch, see what it is that is different about how your child responds in a classroom setting or in any setting. And if it doesn't sound like the child that you know, and you know your child better than anybody, don't be afraid to investigate and don't be afraid to advocate because it really can make a huge difference. And I'm so glad that I was able to be in a position where I could pull him out of that school and work with him until we got it managed. Now he's back in a traditional school and he has been for about two and a half years. But getting that under control first made made all the difference. Wow, that's just amazing that it was such a stark difference from school and at home and that you were able to stay home and homeschool him seems like it made a complete difference for him. We were lucky that I was in that position and I know that not everybody is. But just even being aware and most teachers are willing to work with you and they see changes in kids. And you know, when you're at, a child's at a school for a certain amount of time, everybody starts to notice when there's something different. Finding out why can be the hardest part of all. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't, you know, again, reaching out to pediatricians, reaching out to other people who may or may not have experienced that. And you may get some really interesting insights that would explain behavior changes. Kind of as Justin was going through all of this, um, you know, working on his goals and his physical therapy and his other therapies that he loved. And then this kind of, you know, different turn that no one was expecting with the seizures. How did he handle the stress of all of it? Or what do you think really helped him? Honestly, being out of the setting where he felt like he was in trouble made such a difference. Because as soon as I pulled him out, he relaxed. And we were able to work together. We got him caught up on school. We kind of started a year behind and built our way back up. And so the things that he had no memory of were suddenly reintroduced. And so he's done amazing in school since then. But taking things at his pace, you know, when, he, when I can watch his face and I can tell when there's a seizure and being able to stop where you can't do that in a, in a traditional classroom setting, that made a difference as well. But really just knowing him and knowing his behaviors and knowing what stressed him and kind of backing off of those things as much as I could. But also, I went back to school at the same time that we pulled him out. I did an online program where I had started to take classes focusing on um, health science. And one class was on motivation and one was on motor skills. And it was just a chance for me to figure out how do I incorporate PE as a homeschool person how do I incorporate these skills in a way that makes sense for him? And I figured I just really loved the program. And I ended up continuing and got a master's degree in sports and health science because my son needed to come up with new ways to support him and his development. It just made everything made sense about this program as I was learning it. And we incorporated it as we were learning it. It's amazing. You were able to combine, again, the two parts of your life, being a mom, being a child life specialist, then being a homeschooling mom and being able to continue and pursue um, a master's degree. That's incredible. Well, that part really wasn't planned. I just planned on taking a couple of classes, but everything, like you said, it, it combined everything that I had studied and lived. It made sense, but it made me a stronger advocate for him and for hopefully for other kids who have been given similar or diagnoses or experienced similar limitations where they don't need to be. It's just a matter of learning how to best work with whoever you're working with. So are they calling it epilepsy? They are calling it epilepsy, yes. 
epilepsy with absent seizures. Have you been able to find connection with any other parents in the epilepsy world or what has kind of helped you guys um, through that diagnosis and that process? I would love to say that I have found a ton of parents. I have not. Most of the parents that I've talked to, their kids experience other types of seizures, which are can be a lot more dangerous. And so I really haven't talked to anybody who's had absent seizures, but yes to the seizures. And so I've been on a couple of Facebook groups where we support one another and bounce ideas around. But a lot of them are still trying to get control of the actual seizures themselves. And we're really fortunate that that happened fairly quickly with us. Absolutely. And so was that the only diagnosis that Justin had? He is also on the autism spectrum. And that diagnosis came at about five years old. And he's fairly mild on the spectrum that we see it in his social interactions but we really don't see a lot of the other signs and symptoms of being on the spectrum. So it hasn't necessarily impacted his schooling, whereas the muscle tone has impacted things like being able to move when the other kids are physically active. And then on down to fine motor, where something is as easy as holding a pen or pencil isn't quite so easy because of his fine motor limitations. And so we've had bigger issues because of the motor or the muscle tone. And then with the epilepsy and attention, than we have with the autism spectrum. But I think every diagnosis comes with a huge range. You just kind of figure out where you need to focus and what's going to make the biggest impact for your child. They've all, I mean, any of the, any of the three could have impacted him far more. You know, so we just kind of picked the things that we could focus on at that point and picked a small goal and figured out how we could work through that goal. And sometimes it affected all three diagnoses. Sometimes it was just one. But we just keep moving forward and we try not to pick goals that are so huge that they become overwhelming. And so that's, I mean, other than our big goal of the Star Wars 5K, but we picked the little ones that got us there. That was our ultimate, but we made sure that everything was manageable and that he could feel successful. Sure. And that one was two years away at the time. And so you kind of had the time to to really focus on those small goals, like you said, which seemed to have made all the difference for him. Right. And just knowing that he could do it. He had to see that. I knew he could do it. <laughs> but until he does, it, it doesn't matter. And so you just pick the things that make the kids feel successful and you just keep building on that. And you may not have a giant goal out there, but if you have one that is meaningful to the child, it makes a huge difference in how hard they want to push towards that. Absolutely. Well, what do you think has helped you? What kind of self-care have you been able to do um, as Justin's mom and kind of balancing um, all the things that you have going on? Oh, that's a hard question. I mean, I've, I've gone back to school, which was part of it, and I didn't intend on that being something for me. I wanted to get the tools to better help my son, and the timing felt right with that. But it became more about me in that now I'm starting to teach classes focusing on health sciences that weren't really part of my experience before. But I'm hoping to be able to create a program that is more for teachers, for counselors, for child life specialists, for whoever is working with this population and hopefully include the parents on how to be creative in supporting children who may experience a disability, may experience a physical limitation and have to get creative in how we motivate and get kids moving. And that's something that I'm definitely working towards. Um, In the meantime, I teach classes to current and future child life specialists. So I'm definitely trying to get some of this knowledge out there and how to best support in alternative settings. Working in a classroom setting or in a school setting has been sort of a a big eye-opener for me. 
where they had policies and procedures in place for, for kids with seizure disorders, but they didn't have anything for absence seizures. And so the protocol was to take, let the child finish their seizure, have them placed into a wheelchair and call the paramedics, where this was never really an issue for the type of seizures my son had. We just had to be aware of when they were happening so that we could uh, talk to his doctor and adjust medications and hopefully minimize or um, remove them from existence for him. But it was never an issue of safety for him. So educating on what his seizures looked like was a huge issue in schools. And I know a lot of other parents experience similar things where there's a range of normal for any diagnosis and being able to support peers, to support teachers, support the administration on better understanding and integrating this into the classroom setting is also just something that's really needed. And that I, I would love to see changes in how academic settings support kids with diagnoses. And for me, that is self-care because it's not just about my son. It's about how do we change the environment for all of the kids dealing with this. Yeah, it really seems like advocacy and education, it's kind of just, you know, fuel this fire within you um, to get you on this path, which is something we could all benefit from as parents, community, child life specialists. It doesn't matter who you are. This is this is going to benefit. Absolutely. What would you say are some of the hardest parts about dealing with a child who has these diagnoses? I think when he was younger, it was that there were so few others that seemed to be going through what we were going through. Having the online component that exists now is you can always find somebody else who is experiencing something similar. At the time, 13 years ago, these kind of networks of people didn't exist in the way that they exist now. So that was something that I found really challenging when he first was going through all of this was everybody else's kids were having an easy time learning the things that my son had to do a lot of therapy and a lot needed a lot more support to achieve. And so I think that was a little bit more challenging to cope with. Now my son is 13 and very aware of what his differences and how he copes with them. He's very aware of what other kids can do that are harder for him. And so making sure that he knows that everybody has something that they have a strength in and everybody has something they have a weakness in. And finding what you do well is the most important thing. And if you know, learning math isn't your strength, that's okay. We're going to figure out why, where your strengths are. And hopefully the frustration goes away with that, that they start to recognize that it's not a competition and that they don't have to all do the same thing successfully. That's probably been our greatest issue now. That and having a younger sister who can pick up some of the things that he had a much harder time with. So he's very aware and tries to compare himself and with the others who do things easier. And so we're working on that. I just keep thinking about how blessed he is to have you as a mom and what a fighter you are and what you've done to help him accomplish these things on his own and have this awareness that most teenagers don't have. <laughs> and it sounds like he, he is aware. No, he's definitely aware. And it's something that I often question also that, I know how lucky it was that I had the professional background that I had because I know that's made a difference here. And I always feel for parents who don't have those resources behind them and don't have those networks in place. And then they hear something like what we've heard from doctors that you won't be able to and you can't do this. And I wish there was more advocacy out there. And I hope that that's something that we can change perspectives on so that more people feel that they have the option to go out and create something new. 
or that they can be creative and it will help their child and not to just accept what they're told as this isn't going to happen. What do you think Justin has taught you um, just as being your son and kind of throughout these life experiences that he's had? I think he's got an amazing attitude and he pushes forward, even though he slows down and complains now and then. And, you know, once in a while, we'll feel sorry for himself because something doesn't come easy. That's a normal part of being a human and being a teenager. And, you know, but he still pushes forward and he still picks out those goals and he still works his butt off to get to wherever it is he wants to go. So I don't think he allows it to limit himself. And that's something I've always been so impressed when I work with, in the hospital and with children with any diagnosis, is that if you go onto a pediatric unit, you see kids happy and playing and doing what normal, typical kids do. And when you go to any other unit, you see sadness. And that's why I've always loved working with kids is that you really can't tell them they can't do something. They will do what is normal for a kid to do anyway. And I see that so much in my son. And it's just a reminder of why I love this field. Mm-hmm. And how motivating he is. He's incredible. Sometimes it takes a reminder here and there, but he still sure, he does it sure. and he loves it. Like we all need. <laughs> right. What would you tell a parent who may be going through similar situations that you guys went through? And each of them has been a little bit different, but go with your gut. Go with what your instincts tell you. If something doesn't seem right, get another opinion. If something isn't working, try something else. But don't just settle for something that doesn't feel right because there's a reason you have that instinct. And don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be able to be afraid to just look for other options because I think there's always another option out there. You just have to find what works best for you and for your child. And you're going to know pretty quickly what's working and what isn't. Just don't be afraid to keep trying. And do you have any specific resources that you go to or that you would recommend to a parent whose child either has absence seizures or the low muscle tone or is on the autism spectrum? Uh, that answer depends on the age that they get a diagnosis. Early intervention through regional center, which exists for children zero to three, has been an incredible resource early on. We never had a diagnosis that qualified us beyond a certain age, but it's a great place to start and they can certainly point you towards other resources for, for something similar to muscle tone or to just simply being developmentally delayed, regardless of a, a diagnosis. Um, we also happen to live very close to the Kegel Autism Center at UCSB, works with children and adults of all ages who are coping with the impact of autism, uh, whether it's socially or other impacts. Um, as far as the epilepsy, we went to an adult Neurologist, primarily because we could not find a pediatric specialist who was taking new patients. And we fought with that for a while and finally just said, he's about my height. He's nine years old, but he is adult size. And is there any way that we could at least start here and get a diagnosis and maybe start medication so that we can start moving forward as we look for a pediatric specialist? And we found that the person who took us on, we absolutely loved. He happened to have a son with many of the similar diagnoses that my son had. And so he actually had far more experience than I expected. And you know, four and a half years later, we're now weaning off of medications and we're not seeing seizures coming back. So I don't know that there's a standard, but I would say if you can find somebody who's good with kids, that's the best place to start. But don't be afraid to just ask for help. 
because that's what we did. And we ended up loving the person that we were with. And we would not change, even if my son was able to go see a pediatric specialist at this point. You know, the biggest part is trusting the, the provider and knowing that they have your child's best interest and that they're able to give you tools that you need that can help. Um, so that's, that's amazing. You're able to connect with them. Absolutely. And again, we love our pediatrician, which also helps. And I can call her at any point to ask questions. We are one of those families that seems to find the, the most bizarre things that we don't necessarily have an explanation for. Bouncing ideas around with somebody that you do trust makes a huge difference. And when she starts to question, then we get our referrals to other places. But, you know, she's also been wonderful. If I say we want to go back to physical therapy in the summer, we get our referral. No questions asked. And so we're able to continue to support because he isn't going to be able to do what every other 13-year-old does at this point. But we're sure not going to let him fall behind. We're going to make sure that he's pushing forward. He had his choice of working either with physical therapy or with a trainer this summer. And he, he loves his physical therapist. <laughs> so we've got a referral and we're going back. But we continue to move forward and we continue to, to strengthen where we can. Absolutely. And again, that was his choice. That's amazing that you guys are so aware to, to give him that because then he's got some stake in the game and it's it's what he wants. It's his choice. Exactly. Choice is huge. <laughs> You've mentioned that you are working on some projects and I know you're teaching. And so if you want to share any of that with our listeners today, with for any of the child life specialists who are listening, could you talk a little bit about that? I absolutely can. I am teaching a, a range of classes that typically focus on child life or working in a traditional hospital setting or in alternative settings. I have a lot of counseling students and students that are working towards teaching credentials. But I provide the child life insight into how to incorporate various skills into whatever setting they're going to be working with with children and families. And so I've been teaching child development classes for about 20 years, child life classes for about six years. Um, and now I'm starting to incorporate more on movement options and motivation options and things that I've seen work with my son, hopefully for the same population, but also for parents to look into as well. So a lot of what I do, I hate to say that I've been researching because I was working with my son, but I just kind of figured out what worked for him. And so that for what I'm starting to get into, it's mostly based on what we were able to do. Um, what I've also done though, is since my kids, well, I was going in for, with them for procedures, whether it was PE tubes or tonsils or something minor, but I was working in a hospital setting that was a community setting and didn't offer child life. And I started to recognize things that weren't necessarily the ideal child life setting. And so I would start to make recommendations and I ended up starting a consulting service that to date, I honestly have not charged for it because I've been teaching online and I've got my income from that. So I've been able to donate my time and my energy to creating a, a child-friendly feel in various medical programs. And so I focused primarily on the region that I live in, which is here in California. But I, have, I work with the Oscar Litwack Foundation, who uh, provides mobile playrooms. I secured a donation through Pepsi Refresh, and we created original murals with local art students so that we could create a feeling where kids weren't staring at white walls and had some a way to occupy their time, which is also really incredibly therapeutic in a medical setting. And so I've, I've put a lot of my time and energy into trying to change the way that community programs perceive pediatric care 
And hopefully that impacts how other kids, just like my kids who were just doing kind of normal procedures, normal, easy procedures, and the way that they experience their care so that it can impact how they receive future medical care. And so that's something that I have been doing. And I incorporate a lot of that into the classes that I teach as well. You remind me a lot of Shani and just yeah. <laughs> how you guys are so self-motivated and you're always finding something and always coming up with a new idea. Um, it's just, it's really, it's really incredible, especially for someone who works in a hospital setting. I told her, I'm just so thankful there's people out there like you who are also working in the community setting as well, because it's, it's so necessary and it's, it's very needed. I take that as a huge compliment. So thank you. I absolutely adore Shani. But I think also having kids and, and getting that new lens that we both came into this field without. Right. And being able to see this as a parent, you see things that you weren't normally looking for because you weren't in those places with a child. And so being able to incorporate what we've learned makes a huge difference just for those small programs where the kids are there just for a bit of time. But it still makes a huge, huge difference. Belinda has so much good information to share. And you can learn more about what she does on her website at www.childlifeconnection.com. She also has two Facebook pages if you're interested in hearing more about her consulting business or would like to join her Child Life Connection student forum. I will link to both of these on the show notes page. If you'd like to get in touch with Belinda directly, the easiest way to do that is to send her an email at belinda at childlifeconnection.com. Thank you so much, Belinda, for sharing your expertise as a professional in the field and also your experiences as a mom. We are so happy and honored that you joined us for the episode today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please go review it on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find out that we exist. And also make sure you follow along on all the social media pages so that you can stay up to date with our parents and future episodes. Thank you all again for your support of this podcast, and especially thank you to the parents who have been so vulnerable and shared their experiences. What you've said has certainly impacted so many other parents, and I hope you see that. I hope you all continue to connect with me on social media, and I hope you have an amazing spring and summer. Next time I get back with you, I'll have a daughter. How crazy is that? Thank you so much.